First Chronicles chapter 15, starting with verses 25 through 29. So David, the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Everybody say, with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the Ark, the singers, and the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets, with cymbals, making music, with stringed instruments. We call this Davidic worship. What we got going on up here is is Davidic worship. Stringed instruments and harps. We need a harp. I don't know. I don't know how the harp would fit. We We should try a harp. Cello. We'll, we'll go for a cello. Mm-hmm. Come on, Kimmy. Mm-hmm. Verse 29. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music. David was playing. Can you imagine that? Just David just, David was just rocking out and playing music. He was whirling and playing music. He was part of the, he was part of the, the worship team. And she despised him in her heart. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, just we ask you today that you would just speak to us, Lord, challenge us, convict us, encourage us. Push us forward, Lord, that a hunger would be created, deepened in the hearts and the lives of your people. And God, we just give you all the glory. Have your way today in Jesus' name. Man, we have a lot to go cover today. One of my favorite passages just by way of it's a cool story. But the things that we learn through this passage with King David and Davidic worship and doing things wrong and right and fixing things, and it's just powerful. There's hardly any, hardly any stories in the Word of God that are so compact as this, this encounter with King David. David, a man after God's heart, a man who knew how to worship. Did you hear me, men? A man who knew how to worship, whirling, whirling in plane. I'm still waiting to see all you guys whirling one day. We're going to get y'all whirling when the Lord just comes in. We're going to, who, who, when who whirls, will that be the true sign of the move of God? Anyway, I'm not going to call it any names right now. All the guys are getting nervous. They're like, Pat, you call me out, and that's it. Me and you, we're going to have a conversation. He was a man who knew how to worship, a man with a passion for the house of God, a man who knew that the battle belonged to the Lord, a man who fought when he needed to fight. 
a man who made many mistakes. And all the men said, I heard a couple ladies. No, that was actually a good one. A man who made many mistakes. Ah, y'all are sleeping. We'll get y'all there. Nobody wants to say amen to that one. No, no, no mistakes out there. A man who knew how to make a wrong right. And a man that finished strong. Many more characteristics of King David, but out of all David's pursuits and out of all his achievements, in my opinion, perhaps David's greatest accomplishment was not on the battlefield, was not the house that he built for himself or the children that he raised, but was, again, in my opinion, the act of bringing the ark in the presence of God into the city of David. A whole generation had passed since the ark was wrongfully sent into battle, trying to win a battle that even though their hearts were not right with the Lord, they figured by just putting on the right front that they could win the battle. During the last days of Eli the priest from its home in Shiloh, they took the ark from that home in Shiloh where it had resided for, for some 369 or so years. And it was at that time when Phineas's wife proclaimed Ichabod for the glory has departed. And it was at that time that Eli fell off the wall, sort of like Humpty Dumpty fell off, had a great fall. Eli fell off the wall when he heard that the ark had been captured, when he heard that his sons had been killed in battle, as the Lord had told him would happen. And Phineas, the daughter-in-law, the daughter of his son, in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, she said this, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. And that is what the word Ichabod means, that the Lord or the glory has departed. The daily life in Israel was never quite the same after that incident. I mean, we're talking centuries. 369 years, there was a, there was a, a pattern, a routine in place of, of worship. It's not that all throughout those centuries, they, their leaders and or the people had a heart for God, but the ark had a home. <clears throat> there was continuity. There was worship established, sacrifices established, offerings established. And this, this idea of trying to put on the front that we're right with God by sending the ark out and it being captured, the daily life of Israel did not go back to that which it was before. The ark never returned to Shiloh from that point on. The ark 
after being captured and after it didn't take the Philistines very long to realize, man, we better stop messing around with this thing called the Ark of God. And after a few, you know, months of them messing with the Ark and sending it here and there and doing all sorts of little tests, they said, send this thing back. You don't want to mess around with the glory of God. So the ark of the Lord in that time and in this story today in this in a symbolic way but in a in a real way a manifest way during this time the ark of God was God's presence upon this earth it represented the presence of the Lord it's that ark as many of us would know within the tent of tabernacle that was set up the ark that sat in that holiest place of all which the cherubim in the smoke and the glory continually resided. Because God had said way back when in Exodus 25, 8, he said, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in. It has been God's desire from the beginning to, to dwell amongst his people. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Not a distant God not one ruling from afar, though he has the right to rule from wherever he so chooses, right? But he said, I, I want to be among them. I want to be among them. It's the promise of God all the way back from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the population of God's people on this earth. He wanted to be close, and it was sin that separated man from God. And the ark of the Lord was this representation of the glory of God upon the earth. It was the glory of God upon the earth. So we come back to David, and we, we ask the question with David in bringing this ark. We say, what was David's why in it all? Because if you go back and look, and we're not going to go through this today, but Go and look from the time that it departed Shiloh, captured by the Philistines, returned, and then it got placed into the house of Kira Jeroba, probably not saying that right, for 20 years and never returned back to Shiloh. Saul comes into reign. Of course, Eli is the one Samuel. Samuel puts Saul, the first king, over Israel. Saul comes into reign. All throughout Saul's reign, there never was a desire upon Saul's heart to do anything for the ark of God. I can actually find just, and I, I mistakenly might have said some years ago that there was no reference, but, I, but there actually is at least one reference that I found of Saul in the ark, and, and it was the same mistake that they were making when they took the ark out of Shiloh, that Saul brought the ark to battle. It's the only reference of King Saul in the ark of the Lord throughout King Saul's 40-year reign. But here David comes in. When David was anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord rushed upon him. I love that translation. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. 
Has anybody had the Spirit of the Lord rush upon them before? It's just like, I mean, in my mind, the, how, do we, how do we sort of break that down? Rush, it's like that, that quick, overwhelming just sense in reality, in touch, manifest touch of God's presence upon us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, and, and amazingly it says from that day forward, so the Spirit of the Lord was rushing, rushing, and rushing upon David throughout his whole days. Wow. And Samuel rose up, and he took off. Job was done. To know someone, how they're responding, what they're doing, how they're acting, it's good to, it's good to get the backstory. It's good to to get to know somebody. And when we look at where we finished off in that opening passage where it says, and McCall despised David in her heart. We have to go and begin to figure out a little bit of the backstory and, and just how off it is to despise either the anointing and the anointed one. David was anointed by Samuel, but with the Spirit of the Lord. David's why was the anointing that came upon his life, his why. It was a very unexpected why because he was pulled from the fields, pulled from obscurity, pulled from dealing with the sheep and he was anointed and some of just just some of the main areas that we can sort of all probably easily agree on that David was anointed is he was anointed to worship yes. right Amen. David was anointed to worship David was obviously he was anointed to lead he wasn't he had he had an anointing upon him you go to Israel today and and you go into their little you know theater and it's where it all began you know it's king david you know and and his you know going up his going up sending people up the water shaft up the sewer line to conquer that jebusite city that would eventually become jerusalem david was anointed to battle that was kind of a double edged sword it's an interesting one. And David was anointed to build. We could see that David could build. There's many more things that we could, we could extend this list, but those are just some of the highlights of what David's anointed life was about. It's the same way that when Jesus in Luke 4.18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. You see, the first thing we need to understand is that in order to do something and accomplish something and to, and to move forward in the power of God is that we need to be a people who are anointed by the Spirit of God. And David, like, like most of us or many of us or who knows how many, he learned many valuable lessons in this and walking through and journeying through this anointed life. And many of them, he learned the hard way. Everybody say the hard way. Just because we're anointed doesn't mean we're going to do everything right the first time. It is important that you make wrongs right, though. Luke 7, 47 says, I tell you, 
I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much, he who is brought from the sheep fields, he who is unexpectedly anointed with the power of the Lord, he who is brought out of their miry clay, he who is given a new life and a new start, he who is forgiven much loves much. The hard way in which David oftentimes learned, though it was the painful way, everybody say painful way, Hard way, painful way, kind of the two go hand in hand oftentimes. Except this is the way that we normally don't forget. The anointing is the spirit of the Lord, the reality of God, the touch of God, evident both upon this earth and upon a person's life. The anointing is the manifest presence of the Lord. Even though God's presence is everywhere at all times, the anointing is when that presence becomes manifest before our eyes, before our heart. An anointed life is a life that has the manifest presence of God upon that life. They're bearing fruit that remains. They're speaking the word of God with power. Salvations are following. Disciples are being made. Miracles are taking place. The gifts of the Spirit are moving. An anointed life is followed with the manifest presence of God in somebody's life. A divine application of the touch of God. A smearing. Not just a little smearing, but a great big smearing over our entire life. God anoints people to enable us to fulfill the purpose he has placed upon our life. So we go back to that day in the field with David being brought to that, to that sacrifice with Samuel and Jesse and all those disappointed brothers. And David was anointed that day for a purpose. And in my opinion, that purpose among the top of the reasons was to return the presence of God to his proper place in Israel. Anointed to return God's presence to the people. To this point for at least 20 years plus, presence of God was, was in the household of Abinadab, a the priesthood, priestly household, but wasn't in that place that was centered of Israel, wasn't, didn't have all the, the proper worship and sacrifice that was happening, wasn't properly being housed, at least according to the heart of David. So David comes and brings the ark of God into the city of David. And don't worry, we're going to go backwards here in a minute. He comes and brings the ark with dancing and rejoicing and met by a wife who despised him for the lack of dignity. In her despising, 
Michal was missing and ultimately missed the gravity of the moment. Y'all to hear me today. So many times in our despising, or we could say how often in our despising, in our quick to judge, do we miss something significant that God is doing among us. And this, this lady, Michal, Saul's daughter, had the had the spirit of Saul obviously upon her life, instead of being able to recognize, and it's going to get a lot worse at her inability to recognize as we're about to take a journey backwards. But she was the blind, the size of her blind spot was massive. And in her despising, we learn, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a nervousing thing how she spent the rest of her days barren, despising her husband's worship of God, coming quickly to judge. How often do we judge another's worship in a macaw sort of fashion? One person is too loud, another's too quiet. One too sad, another way too happy. One dances and whirls way too much, while the other one, not at all. One lifts their hands, another one puts them in their pockets. One sings as loud as they can, another one doesn't sing at all. One sings out a key, and one who could sing in key doesn't sing at all. A gifting given to sing like the birds, the angels, and not singing at all. How many times are we so quickly to come to judgment, not being aware or even at times even caring what God is doing in the hearts of the people? Many times we speak evil of and come to judgment on things that we do not understand. So why would Michal despise an anointed one? Let's take a journey backwards. And we're going to go now at this point in this story. We're going to take a three-month journey backwards. As David prepares for the first time to bring the ark of God, the presence of God, into the city of David. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I think this would make a great place. I'm sitting there like, I feel like I'm just like, well, I want people walking on the stage and like acting it out as we go right here. David gathered all the choice men of Israel. Don't get confused right here. This is not the same story that I read at the beginning of the service today. 
David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Everybody say 30,000. It's a big church service. It's a big crusade. It's a big conference. Big celebration. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by name, by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Here, this was this moment in time right here. This had been one that David had been longing for for all his life. We've already said he was anointed to worship. Well, any Israelite, any Jewish man that loves to worship, they want to, they have a, a, a heart and a desire for the ark of God as we do who love to worship today as we would desire the, the presence of the precious Holy Spirit here in our midst. It's the same. Anybody who loves to worship God has that hunger and desire for the presence of God to be in their midst. Well, David was no different, and he longed for this day. Way before he became king, when he was out in the fields learning how to play his string instruments as the Lord seemed to be his teacher, he sat out there night after night with the sheep, worshiping and playing in the fields of God, watching over the sheep by night. These were the times of preparation. These were the times where, that were getting him ready for, for the thing that he was ultimately called to do. When he realized he was going to be king, can you imagine the day that it really dawned on him? He goes from, from serving Saul, being a commander, having to flee for his life, to Saul is, well, first being a king over Judah for those years, and then Saul is dead. You're you're the man. You're now the man. It didn't take him long for this desire in his heart to come to the surface. When he realized that he was king, his heart turned toward the ark. His heart had always been there in his fleeing and in his, in his travels. But when he was now in charge, he was now the one making all the decisions. His heart was set on bringing the presence of God into the city of David. Because he had a heart for the presence. People of God, hear me today. We have to gain a heart for the presence of God. We've got to gain a heart for his presence. In spite of our deficiencies of how we worship and how maybe we think somebody else should worship. I do it right, you do it wrong, you should do it like me type of attitude. What we really need 
is a heart for God's presence like David. He wanted the presence of God, the ark of the Lord, to be close. He wanted it near in his life. He was concerned that the ark, the presence, had a proper home. Noting once again the contrast between King David and King Saul. King Saul, throughout his entire reign, never displayed a desire for the ark having a home, or even for that matter, being close to his reign. So David gathers all this big celebration, and then tragedy strikes. We know what happens next. And when they brought, in verse 4 in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and when they brought out of the, the ark out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark, and Ahio, Ahio went before the ark, and then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord and danced and all the instruments and fir wood and harps and stringed instruments and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. And they came to Nikon's threshing floor and Uzziah put out his hand to touch the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Verse 7, then the anger of the Lord arose against Uzziah and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of the Lord. Let's understand this scene that's, that's taken place. There's, there's thousands of celebration, thousands of people celebrating. It's a beautiful scene. It's a well-orchestrated event. It's an event. It's a production. David took time to plan what these 30,000 people were going to be doing, plus, plus, on top of the 30,000. David prioritizing the show, even the celebration, more than taking care of or honoring the presence of God. Hear me today. The mistake that we, the church, oftentimes make. New cart, new method, man's way, man's uncleanness. When Yuza died, reaching out to stabilize the ark as if God needs any of us to stabilize him. Some of us think, I'm just helping God out. I'm just going to reach out. God, you need me. I know. I'm just going to help you. I'm just going to keep you safe. God, I'm going to keep you safe. I know you're stumbling, Lord, but I'm here to help you. Now, you can go all, we can go. We're not going to stay there today, though. You can, you can, you've heard a dozen sermons on that one, I'm sure. David's heart was right but his methods completely wrong. We learn from this story, contrary to maybe popular thought and maybe misinterpretation of old wineskins, new wineskins, that how we do things do matter. How we live does matter. Amen. Yes, there's grace 
and grace is awesome. But he who has much grace ceases from sin. How we do things do matter. But something astonishing happens next. In verse number 8 in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And David was angry because the Lord. And we'll pause there. His first emotional response to this tragedy was he was ticked. He was mad. Let me ask us all a question. I mean, who exactly was he mad at? David was angry because the Lord. David was angry that the Lord had stretched out his hand and struck down Uzzah that day. And what follows is, again, in my opinion, the most important three months of David's life. Youth might easily go, and I might not argue with you all. Well, obviously, the beginning there at the anointing was the most important. And, and Goliath, well, that situation, that was pretty important in the rising of David. Agreed, agreed. Very important. But both of those times went his way. This is the first one that didn't go his way. Do you hear me today, people? David has killed, Saul has killed thousands. David has killed tens of thousands. The battles went his way. The favor of the people went his way. David had everything going for him. David was, was, was ready to take this ark and bring it in, and Uzzah dies, and next thing you know, David has to come face-to-face -face with the reality of, it's not always going to go exactly as I have it planned. And he gets angry, and for three months, everybody say three months. Three months. It took him three months to make what ultimately would be the right decision. Again, thank you, Jesus. Amen. It was a three-month struggle. It was a three-month study trying to understand what happened and why, where he went wrong. It was three months working through his offense. God, how could you? How could you let this thing happen? It was public. It was on his shoulders, the king, in his first grand public act of bringing the presence of the Lord. And the Lord reminds everybody, I am the one who is holy here. It was three months of working through his failure. 
Has anybody ever been in this type of three-month period before? Your three months, my, this is David. Jesus had 40 days. Moses had 40 years. I mean, you know, don't get too stuck on the time frame. You get, the, you get in the picture. Three months. Three months to work through something that has unexpectedly happened in your life. Three months Working through the feeling of responsibility wasn't only a feeling, it was a fact. The responsibility of Uzzah's death. That's heavy. That's heavy to carry. We've had babies that have unneedfully or and unfortunately passed away in the healing home for circumstances that could have been perhaps controlled and you got to I remember one of those seasons of having to work through, work through that, that feeling of responsibility. David went through many emotional responses to God. He was angry. He was afraid. He was not willing to go any further. And frankly, David, at that point in his life, could have walked away and said, Lord, you require too much. My heart was right. We've got tens and thousands of people here celebrating you. The scene was set. It was beautiful. It was orchestrated perfectly. David could have come to the conclusion, Lord, What you require is too much. I can't give it to you. And then David had what what we're calling today his life's revelation. You got to have one of those at some point in your life. Fortunately, with us now, with the Holy Spirit living in us and being given the word of God that we have I mean, oftentimes we can, we can have life revelations, you know, like once a week, (laughs) life, life revelation once a month, like, whoa, once again, as the word of God is just becoming living and active and moving within us here with David, David had to go through a, through a study and in first Chronicles 15 verses 11 through 13, remember David had the spirit. Because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. And so now he's like, he's doing what we should all do. He says, we better get out the Word. We better, start, we better start digging in the Word again because something was off. He gets back in the Word and David called for Zodok and for Abathar, the priest, and for the Levites, and for Uriah, and Isaiah and Joel, and Shemaiah, and oh man, goodness gracious. And he said to them all, you are the heads of the father's houses, of the Levites, sanctify yourselves. Look to the person next to you and say, sanctify yourself. Number one problem. He didn't go with sanctified people. He went with a bunch of unsanctified people. On the day they went to go handle the holy, glory presence of God. Sanctify yourselves and your brethren 
that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. Listen to verse 13. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord God, our, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Let's read verse 13 again. For because you did not do it, who is the you? You is the priest, the sanctified priest. Because you did not do it, carry the presence of the Lord. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. He has come, and there's a reason why we are now the holy priesthood. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. If you were not part of the priesthood of Christ, you would not be able to carry the presence of the Lord. End of story. And David, in such a now symbolic way for us, he came to this life's revelation. Oh, wow. The priest, the sanctified, set-apart priest are the ones who have to handle and carry and honor and respect the glory of the Lord. The right way was the old way, the original way. The ancient way. There's no new way, even today. There's no new way to handle the presence of the Lord. The Lord required his presence to be handled by a holy, sanctified, set-apart priesthood. So he sent his son and whoever calls upon the name of Jesus. He didn't create a new way of carrying his presence. Instead, he just made us all priests to be able to carry his presence. We often have the idea that a new way is a better way. Give me a new cart to do things. I need a new cart. I need a new way. We got to make it look glorious and wonderful. God does like new. His mercies are new every morning. Let's not get aside. Let's not totally bash new. He gives us a new heart. New wineskins, keep in mind, new wineskins means that we're no longer doing it by way of the law, but now we're doing it by way of the Spirit. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Somebody say amen. amen. But there's no new way to handle the presence of the Lord. It has to be carried by sanctified priesthood of God. So David made a new plan, which was actually an old plan to bring the glory of God back into Israel. Verse 11, and the ark of the Lord remained. This is the three months when he came to the end of his three-month trial, his three-month desert experience. His three months of having to push through and continue to trust God and believe God. 
And the ark of the Lord remained in Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to the King David, the Lord has blessed. Oh, as a matter of fact, the Lord's blessing. <laughs> a little commentary. He's blessing the socks off of Obed and his whole crew. I mean, they are just like, woo-wee. Their whole life has just been, it's just come up to a new level. Everything's different, changed. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went. That was too much for him to hear. He says, oh, I got to go get this ark. <laughs> we do. We do. I was telling somebody about this the other day. You know, the whole one day we'll, we'll teach for an offering, the whole reward-based reward based motivation based upon the life of David. What, what will be done for the man who slays that giant? Well, they're going to get a new wife. They're going to be tax-free. They're just going to be high-ranking in the king's army. You who defy the name of the most holy God. Up until that point, he was running with all the other soldiers. Oh, what will be done? Oh, that'll be done? Just a little side, side journey. David had all sorts of things motivating him. It's not to discredit or to simplify or pull down his heart for God's presence or the purpose that God put upon his life. But his old plan... The new plan was the old plan. He went up and he brought the ark of God from the household of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those, listen to this, when those, whew, when those, you want to know what the cost is? Here you're going to see the cost right here. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, everybody say six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal every six steps. David learned how to honor the presence of the Lord and the value of sacrifice in offerings honoring a holy God. Encountering the glory of God is always on God's terms. There will always be surprises along the journey. But when David heard and was reminded of the blessings, and David had obviously processed all the different emotions in his life, and, and he did his study, and he sanctified the priesthood, and he said, I'm ready to go and do it Again, I'm ready to try again. Look to the person next to you say, I'm ready to try again. Listen to this, people. Woo! The scene coming from Obed-Edom's house. Try to envision this. The scene coming from Obed-Edom's house was so vastly different than the one when they picked up the ark from Kira Jerba's house. There were still a lot of people. It wasn't like, I'm just going by myself and these priests. No, there were still a lot of people. We read at the beginning, all these people that was with him and all of Israel, not just the choice men, 
didn't just include the elite this time. All of Israel. The scene was so much different because now the scene was being led with worship and sacrifice. The first scene was being led by orchestration of celebration. Tens of thousands celebrating, all playing in harmony with their instruments and all. This time, it was hearts of worship and sacrifice. You say, well, how, how far was this? This is just me having fun with my numbers. But Obed-Edom's house to the city of David was approximately four miles, give or take. We're going to call it four miles. In a mile... 2,000 approximately, give or take of your stride, approximately 2,000 steps. So there was approximately 8,000 steps between Obed-Edom's front door, where the ark came carrying out on the sanctified priest's shoulder, and every six steps they were slaughtering an ox, and a fattened animal. So how much does that eat? So there was approximately 1,333 slaughtered oxen and fattened animals. About 2,700 sacrifices between the front door, threshold of Obed-Edom's house, to the city of David, where he walks in twirling, dancing in his epod. He was just one of the priests. He was one of the worshipers, just twirling without any of his human and fleshly dignity. He was dancing in, in Jewish style before the Lord all with his epod. And this is when his wife looks down at I'm sure that it linen Here's, now, here's me. This might just be me, but I think it probably had some blood on it. Matter of fact, now that you're agreeing with me, I think, I think it probably had a lot of blood on it. What do you think that four miles looked like from the threshold of Obed-Edom's house all the way to the city of David? They were leading the way with sacrifice. By the way, when you slaughter an animal, it's not clean. It's going everywhere. And here David is dancing. He, he was, man, he had some good... Endurance. I'm tired after 45 seconds. <laughs> he danced. He danced for four miles. He danced for four miles with all his might. For four miles. Just dancing in, in Jewish style. I'm not doing it very much justice. But just dancing in, in all his might for four miles. Stepping in the blood. The blood just coming all over him. The blood just getting spattered everywhere as they dance all down without any dignity. And now you come to Mikhail. Are you kidding me? You know what just went, you know what the last three months were like now. 
the struggle. The struggle for his life. The struggle for his future. The struggle not to give up on God. And he comes dancing into the city of David after three months of overcoming this struggle. Filled with worship in his heart. Robe splattered with the blood of oxen and fattened sacrifices to the tune of nearly 3,000 of them in a four-mile journey. And yet, McCall stands up there and says, hmm, hmm, how undignified. How undignified. It's a sobering picture for each one of our journeys in our lives to not be, that's what I meant, oh, by the way, last week when I said, let us, that's what the Spirit of the Lord meant, let us not be Macaws. Let us not be that person. Let us not be that one who despises not only the anointed one, but if you're going to despise him and what he's doing, especially after knowing the backstory, if you have a struggle with somebody, if you have a struggle with somebody, how somebody loves the Lord, how somebody worships Jesus, how somebody's pressing in, if, if, how about you just try to go dig in a little bit first? Go, go get to know somebody before we stand up in our window seals and just pronounce despising and judgment upon people in the house of the Lord. We can all be individuals. We can all do it differently. But let us not guard us, Lord. Guard our hearts. Help us, Jesus. That we do not become a people who despise the anointing. David danced and twirled. And he came in. And she missed it all. McCall missed the significance of the moment. She missed the move of God. She missed the importance of the presence of God returning to the city of David. She missed it all. Sometimes we think that we have to innovate and reinvent in the church and in the house of God. But let us learn from David's life, from pushing through his mistakes, that all we really need to continue doing is what has worked for centuries, which is being a people who honor God's presence, being a people who hunger after God's presence, and being a people who live sanctified and sacrificial lives before the Lord. As it says in that final scripture and scripture in Romans chapter 1, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, continue to stir us up, Lord. Continue to help us to have a hunger, God. A hunger stirred up in our hearts. Let us be carriers of your presence. Go ahead and come, worship team, please. Let us be carriers of your presence. Let us be carriers of your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Just lift up your hands unto the Lord and hallelujah. I just want you to just with me, just let us just humble ourselves before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let us just open our hearts to the voice of the Spirit of the Lord, to the promptings of the Lord in our life. Thank you, Jesus. There is an anointing, the anointed one, the anointed Holy Spirit poured out in the hearts of men. He's been poured out into our hearts and our lives for a purpose, for a reason, for such a time and a day as this. Let us be a people who pursue that purpose, knowing that with when God is for us, who can be against us? Knowing that with God, all things are possible, that we are the head and we are not the tail in the mighty name of Jesus. Some of you have stopped, you've quit, you've put a halt because of your past failures, because of unexpected hiccups in your journey, maybe your spouse, maybe your husband, maybe your children. And it's time to just pick up and it's time to say, oh, we're going to the house of Obed-Edom. We're going to the house and we're going to do it all over again. We're not going to let that first time, that first failure, multiplied failures stop us. For his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus.